Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Shane Harris. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. It's a, a joy to be here tonight. And can I just say you guys look amazing tonight? Could I take it further and say that you guys are amazing? You really are. Do you know who lives inside of you? I want you to think about that for a minute. Maybe this week, this may be for someone here, maybe you didn't feel so amazing this week. Do you know who lives inside of you? That's right. You're amazing. Maybe there's some, this might be for someone here tonight, maybe... Maybe someone said some words to you this week that didn't make you feel very amazing. But I want to tell you, you are amazing. Because Jesus is inside of you. And you're so amazing and so valuable that he died for you and for me. And so he has made us into amazing people. And um, why don't we stand one more time? Aren't you glad our friend, the Holy Spirit, is here? tonight. You know, he deserves to be honored. Sorry, I've got all kinds of electronic issues up here. It wants my face. All right. You know, you got to preach with all this technology. It's, it's just difficult. I don't think they had that problem in the first century. But you know, the Holy Spirit, he's amazing. It's amazing the things that he does. It's amazing that the things that he brings. It's amazing that he's our friend, and he's our helper, and he's our comforter. He releases the power in our midst. He brings healing power in our midst. He releases all kinds of gifts, prophetic gifts, gifts of encouragement. He does incredible things. And so I like to take a moment when I preach to just honor him. And so I'm just going to pray, and you just pray with me. But Holy Spirit, we want to honor you tonight. We thank you for your work already happening in this place. We thank you that you're going to continue. We thank you that you call us friends. We thank you that you comfort us. We thank you that you bring healing power. We thank you that you cause worship to well up inside of us. We thank you for joy that you bring into our hearts. And so we just thank you tonight, and we just say, have your complete way with our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, all right. So so tonight, I want to share some things with you. I've been spending a lot of time in the book of Colossians. I taught a class on Colossians, and so I spent, I don't know, I spent like um, six weeks in chapter one, and there's four chapters in Colossians. And so the book is so incredibly in-depth, like every line is a truth bomb, and behind every line is an incredible depth of richness of things that God's saying. And the interesting, interesting thing about the Colossian church is it was in a, a small town about a hundred miles from Ephesus, um, uh, Colossae, and 
it was kind of a forgotten place. It was pretty close to Laodicea. You read about that in the book of Revelation. Uh, Jesus spoke over Laodicea. He talked about how they, um, they were not hot nor cold, but they were lukewarm. And so he called them back to himself. And, um, and so you had all these different churches in this part of the world, which is modern-day Turkey. But the interesting thing about Colossians is it's believed to be that it was a home church. And one of the greatest revelations about Jesus ever given, ever, period, was given to the Colossians. And the Colossians had a lot of trouble going on in the church. And so Paul writes in this letter, and he writes it from prison. And the other place that I've been spending a lot of time in is also in Ephesians. Ephesians is an amazing book as well. Colossians really gives us a picture of Jesus as the head of everything. The head of the universe, the head of the cosmos, the head of the, head of the church, that he, is, that he is the head. And then Ephesians, spent, there's a lot in Ephesians about the body. And so I believe looking at Ephesians and Colossians together is a good thing. Because you begin to understand the head, but then you also begin to understand who we are as the body. And the Apostle Paul wrote these books. They're, they're two of the prison epistles. He wrote them from prison. He was in Rome, and uh, he was under house arrest. And what's interesting about it is it's believed that he was chained to a Roman soldier at all times. And that every three, four, five hours, I don't know, it's believed that there was probably a rotation. This was common uh, when someone was under house arrest. There'd be a rotation, and another guard would come in. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Paul's in a prison in Rome, and when you read his letters, they're unbelievable. The, the, the level of revelation is phenomenal. The things, the heavenly things that, that Paul saw, the things that he wrote about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are just amazing. And so if you can imagine what happened to this Ro these Roman soldiers as they're chained to the Apostle Paul, who didn't seem to really know that he was chained up. It didn't stop him anyway. He was still giving direction to the church. And uh, he's still writing these letters. He's still bringing messages that way. But they're chained to him. And it, it, talks, about Paul, it talks about that he became known in all of the Praetorian Guard. And that was the elite guard of the Romans. He became known because people were getting saved as Paul was chained to one of these Roman soldiers. Isn't that amazing? He had so much revelation of Jesus that the whole guard of the most powerful country, empire in the world, these guys start getting saved. Amazing. And he did it while imprisoned. So I want you to think about that a little bit. And I think it's important to think about when we read these letters, think about who wrote them. And Paul, for Paul, the center of gravity of everything for Paul was the gospel. Everything was the gospel. Everything centered on the gospel. He burned with the gospel. And I want you to think about this for, for a minute before Paul became an apostle, his previous job was a ravager of the church. He was a persecutor of Christians. And Paul has an encounter with Jesus that changed him forever. 
He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, around two-thirds. Because of the revelation, because of the relationship that he had with Jesus, he became this amazing, powerful, spirit-filled man that literally turned the world upside down. That wherever he went, the power of God was released. Even when they imprisoned him. Even in places that seemed it would be impossible, the power of God was released through his ministry. But it was about the gospel for Paul. He lived for the gospel. He was in prison for the gospel. Sometime after he wrote these books, maybe six to eight years, he was martyred. He was killed for the gospel. So powerful. And so when we look at these words, when we read, I'm going to read a little bit out of Ephesians tonight, and I'm going to read a little bit out of Colossians and some other verses as well. But I want you to feel the weight of heaven that exists on these words. We're going to start in Ephesians 3, verse 8. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to use an ESV translation. There's some very powerful revelation in this. All right, Ephesians 3, verse 8. This is Paul speaking, and he's just in this passage finished describing talking about the revelation that he was given of the gospel. And um, we're just going to pick up right here. And he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so he starts this passage in verse 8, and he talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And what he's talking about here, and he's talking about preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about preaching the gospel, the unsearchable riches of Christ that it, that it unlocks. And then he goes on in verse 9, and he says, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? And I want us to think about something tonight. You may not feel like your life is significant. You may not feel like you live in, an, in a significant time in history. But I want to tell you that we are significant. And we live in an amazing time in history. We live in the midst of this plan that God had that was hidden for ages. The gospel was hidden for ages. And we find ourselves right in the middle of this age where the gospel is being released and God is moving in the earth. We sit here today 
because of the power of the gospel. We worship in freedom. We find peace because of the power of the gospel. And so we're a part of something. You need to see yourself as a part of something really important and really big and really amazing. God has you here in Austin or if you're from another town, whatever city you're in, God has you there for a purpose. And I want to say that that purpose is for the gospel. It's not for your job. It's not for your family. Important things, great things. It's not so you can just enjoy whatever city you live in, although that's a great thing to do. It's for the gospel. And so we live right here in the middle of this amazing thing. And then he goes on in verse 10 and he says something that is mind-blowing. If you want something mind-blowing, here it is tonight. All right? Verse 10. Are you, are, y'all, are you sure you're ready for this? All right? Because it's mind-blowing. If you get it. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's an amazing word right there. Let's unpack it just a little bit. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so, manifold wisdom. The manifold wisdom of God. So, manifold, when you look at that word, it describes something that is intricate. And in the first century, when this was written, it was often used to uh, describe an embroidered, embroidered pattern. Sorry, I don't sew. Um, that was very intricate, that was sewed on wealthy people's cloaks. And so we see here that God has, through the church, wants to make known his manifold wisdom. And he wants to make it known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And as I started to look at this this afternoon, I got into this message, and I was like, all right, I'm going to preach this. And a couple days ago, I went to my computer screen, and I looked at the passage, and my mind was completely blank. And I was like, I know I'm supposed to do something with this, but I'm getting absolutely nothing. And I thought about abandoning ship a couple times, but uh, I just stayed with it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to preach this, whether I have anything or not, and see what happens. (laughs) But this afternoon... I started getting this download. I mean, I, I felt chills on my body as the Holy Spirit just began to fall on me. And I was looking at this, and I thought, this is just an interesting statement here. That the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And I thought, what is God saying? Why? Does he want to do this? And the Holy Spirit really brought up in my heart Genesis, where back at the beginning when when Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, one of the things that was that 
the serpent that Satan came and said was, was this. It says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, in the garden were all these trees and all these good things, and there was the tree of life, but there was also this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said, listen, guys, you can have every bit of that, but you can't eat of this one tree. You're forbidden to eat of this one tree. And so Satan comes and he begins to tempt them with that. And one of the things that he said that was, that was a, a lie, at least in the way that he said it, there's a lot of half-truths that often Satan will bring when he's bringing deception. But, but what he says here, he says, you, if, you, if you'll do this, he said, God knows that you would be like him. And what was Satan? Why was, why was he thrown out of heaven? He was thrown out of heaven because he wanted to usurp God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to take God's place. And so he was thrown out of heaven. And so right here in this moment, we see that, that man is on the earth. Man that was created for the pleasure of God. Man that was created to have a relationship with God. Man that was made for God. And he comes and he says, if you do this, if you do this thing that God has told you not to do, you'll be like him. Now the interesting thing here, and the kicker of this is, is they were already like him. They were already made in the image of God. They had a perfect relationship with God with no sin. He made them perfect. But at the same time, he gave them a choice. Because for love to be real, there has to be a choice. And I'm not going to preach on that, but, but it's, a, it's a kicker right here. They were already like him. And we know the story. They, they went and they ate of the fruit of that tree. And when they did, the very opposite happened to them. Instead of becoming like God, they became separated from God. Darkness came in. Corruption came in. Sin came in. And see, the thing about sin is this. It's why we don't want to play with sin. Sin corrupts from within. It's a very deadly force. Thank God we've been freed from it. That it's no longer our master. But we see here that this happens. So they didn't become like God. In fact... They became separated from Him. They became cut off from His presence. They, they became hostile in mind towards God. Their spirit went dark, whereas before it was full of the light of God. And so this mystery was hidden for ages. Because God had a plan. And I thought about this passage and I thought, why, God, why do you want to do that through the church? I mean, why, why do you want to show the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? And that's speaking of, of dark, demonic powers. Why do, you, why do you want to show them this manifold wisdom? Why do you want to do that? And I thought back to Genesis. Because the enemy destroyed man's relationship with God. But God had this 
mystery that he was going to reveal in Jesus. And he wanted to make a statement to those powers of darkness that had separated through deception man from God, that had separated his pleasure, that had destroyed the relationship with God. He wanted to make a statement. And that statement is this mystery. That statement is the cross. That statement is the gospel. And I want to say this to, today as well. He's still making a statement. You are that statement. We, the church, are the statement. Through the church, the manifold, the intricate plan of God. I, I was thinking about this. Each one of us are like a stitch in that plan. We're like an intricate piece. Do you understand that you're an intricate piece of the manifold wisdom of God? That you are an intricate piece of the church? That you are an intricate piece of this mystery that he was going to, that in these days that he was going to say, I'm going to show them what I did. I'm going to show them through my son what I did. He wanted to make a statement with new creation. And he wanted to pour out his unsearchable riches upon his people. And he says to them, look, authorities, look, rulers in heavenly places. They're like me. They are like me. You get it? You feel the Holy Spirit? What a statement. So you're the statement. I'm the statement. We're like Him. We've been transformed and we are being transformed more and more. We are new creations. And at the same time, we're walking this thing out and becoming more and more like Jesus. We're experiencing more of His riches he literally is putting his church on display and saying, look at them. Aren't they amazing? Look at what my son did. Look at what my power did in making us into who he's called us to be. Good. Again, amen? amen? All right. Okay, let's go to Colossians now. Are you with me, guys? All right, Colossians 1, we're going to look in verse 5. Because I want us to understand something. So we are new creations, but God's still working in us. We've been made completely new. We're not a better version of ourselves. We're a completely new person. God, our sin nature was crucified and buried with Him. Doesn't mean I can't sin. But I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a saint. I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of the manifold wisdom of God. God's got me on display. And he's saying to the rulers in the heavenly realm, look, this, this guy, these guys are absolutely amazing. Because my glory is, is on them. But at the same time, how many know that God's still working in us and through us and doing things? 
So he's not done with us. And so he's still working this thing. And Colossians 1.5 says this. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, or this you've heard before the word of, tr of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So I want us to see a couple of things here. Verse 6, verse six is talking about the gospel, the word of truth again here, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery that was hidden for the ages, like we looked at in that other passage. It, this, this has come to you. And it's not only come to you, but it's come to the whole world, speaking to the Colossians here. And it's doing something. It's bearing fruit and it's increasing. But we need to understand, it's coming in two spheres. He's speaking to the Colossians. He's speaking to the believers. He's speaking to those who have been transformed out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom. And he's, he's also talking here about the world. So the gospel, the point I want to make is this. The gospel is both working in the world in the context of evangelism, but it's also working still in us in transformational discipleship. We are being changed every day. We are being made new and fresh every day. God does something new. He makes, he takes a part of me and he says, all right, I'm going to make this part more like me. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And it's the gospel that's doing that. So it works at initial salvation when we think of the gospel, and typically when we say that, we think gospel, okay, we think, all right, we got to go tell someone about the gospel. You know, we think of the initial salvation piece, but there's more. This, it's working in the world, and he told the Colossians, inside of them. And it's initial salvation, but it also brings transformation. It brings renewal. When we talk about revival, we're talking about the gospel working in our midst. When we talk about being a revival culture, what we're really saying is we're a gospel culture. And we are experiencing what the gospel opened up and what provided to us what God made a way for us to have all of it, not just part of it, not just the initial salvation that we receive, but all that he has right now is what we receive. And so we see here that it's, um, it's bearing fruit and it's also increasing. Verse 6. Bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel is actively working right now. Right now in this room, the gospel's working inside of you. There's something in this moment, there's something when we gather together, there's things that change inside of us. Maybe we faced a, a difficult week and God begins to flood his word into our heart. There's something of the gospel working inside of us. There's all kinds of things that he's doing. And so it's bearing fruit and it's increasing. So the, guys, the gospel's not decreasing in the world. It's actually increasing. Revival, revival is increasing. It's increasing in the world, and, and it bears fruit. And I want to talk a little bit about fruit, because I believe that the riches of heaven are actually the fruit. 
I think in one measure, things like my body being healed, that's a rich, riches of heaven. Um, because the same price was paid for that, that the fruit was paid. But in the weight of eternity, fruit holds even a greater level of weight. Because it doesn't ever stop. This body will pass away. And I want more healing. I want more release like that. You know, financial provision, that's part of the riches of heaven that God pours out upon us. But, but you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't carry the same weight as fruit. Because as awesome as a blessing as that is, and we want to give thanks for that every day, the provision that God gives to us, the healing that He gives to our bodies, the different things that He does there. We want, those are very important. We want to give thanks. But we need to understand that the fruit even carries greater weight. And so I don't want to be deficient in fruit. Right? I don't want my bank account... Well, I do want my bank account to be full, but I don't want it to be full and, defi- and be deficient in fruit. Now, the good news is... It's not one or the other. God provides. He takes care of us. He gives us blessings in this earth. But he's also got these eternal things for us. All right? And so let's, I want to talk a little bit about some of the fruit. You good with that? Galatians 5.22 says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. Now, how many believe, probably bet that some of the kids back there have this memorized, right? Most likely through a song or something. But it's really powerful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, these are fruits of the Spirit. And I don't believe these are the only fruits of the Spirit. This is a list here that we have here. And I'm going to talk about some other ones in a minute. But, but why is fruit so important? Because it's Him. It's his image. It's his imprint upon us. It's his likeness upon us. And so it's really important. And we need to understand that fruit, fruit is not inward focused. It's outward. If you want to know if you have a, are operating in a fruit in your life, is it looking inward or is it looking out? Where is it looking? If you want to see if that fruit's real, or if you want to see how maybe mature that fruit is in your life, look at where it's looking. I would say this, the more mature that fruit becomes in you, the more it looks out. Jesus was the perfect example as he walked this earth of the fruit. Because he was God. And he had flesh just like us, but he was fully God. He was fully man. And he walked in that perfect fruit because he never thought about himself. Look at his life. He lived his life for others, and then he gave his life. He gave the ultimate at the cross. And so the more mature fruit becomes, the more outward it'll be made uh, displayed. All right. Now, let me, I want to say something else about fruit. Fruit um, is actually from our future heavenly reality. All right? So it says back in Colossians 5, it says, the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
So I have this future reality of, of hope, which is one of the fruits, and it's, it's laid up there in, in heaven. Um, and so we need to understand something about it, that it doesn't originate in the earth. Um, it's from a world that we'll fully one day live in, that we experience now on some level that will fully one day be in its fullness, but it's from there. It's from, it's from a reality that's like, it's, it's another dimension, guys. It's a heavenly realm where fruit is. And, and um, I think the, the important thing to understand about that is you can't make yourself fruitful. I promise I'm just going to be nicer. I'm going to be kinder today, and I'm going to pay for the guy's coffee behind me at the, the thing. Good thing, please do, especially if I'm behind you. But, but fruit, and, and I'm going to talk about how we cultivate it in a minute, but we need to understand, it's not by trying harder that we become more fruitful. All right? It's a heavenly reality that can be imparted right now. But we need to understand that it's something that's imparted to us. And then we've got to do something with it, which we'll talk about kind of at the end of this. But, but, um, but, but it's, it's supernatural. And what does that mean? I mean, I've said this before. I'm like, I'm not that patient. And, you know, I'm not a patient. Per- and I, I almost use it as an excuse not to be patient. It's just not how I am. You know, I was born not patient, and I'm just not going to be patient. And then when I try to be more patient, like I'm not more patient. I'm, I'm, I'm not patient with how I'm not progressing in patience. So it, it's not, so I want to say this. It's, it's important to understand that all the fruits are available to all of us, every single one of them. They're all a part of Jesus. They're all a part of his character and his divine nature. And he wants them all to flourish in our hearts. He doesn't want to be like, okay, well, we've got the patient section over here and here's the love section. We've got the joy section. No, he wants us, he wants to be inside of all of us. He wants a fullness to happen inside of us all. All right. And so it comes from that other reality though, but it's something that God imparts what? Through the gospel, the working of the gospel. The gospel bears fruit and brings increase into our hearts, into my life. It opens up that heavenly realm so that God can begin to impart fruit. You know how you become fruitful? You become like Him. You touch Him. You spend time with Him, and you'll become like Him. That's what's amazing about the gospel. It, it's a person. It's Jesus and when you touch him, it changes you. It changes you. It makes you different. It, it does something in you. If, you're, if, you don't have, if you don't have faith, just be with Jesus and you'll have more faith. So you cultivate a relationship with God. I'm getting ahead of myself. Fruit, will, fruit will, will come. But let me say this. Walking in fruit demonstrates that we are living as citizens of another world, but in the present. All right, someone wants it again. Walking 
in fruit demonstrates we are living as citizens of another world in the present. That's what the world needs. This world, this is what it needs. It doesn't need us complaining about how everything's going downhill. It needs people who are walking in fruit and demonstrating that there is another world and it's available right now in the present. Amen? So it's supernatural. So I want to talk about three super fruits. Y'all ready for these? Okay. I feel like I need a handkerchief for that, you know. Give one to Stacy. She can go ahead. Whole front row gets a handkerchief for this. So, all right. All right. Super fruits. Do you even believe there is such a thing? Yeah, there is. These are like the big, these are the big, big daddy fruits right here. Y'all take that off the tape later. But these are like, I don't know why I said that. But these are like, these really are, these are the big, these are the big fruits. These are the big ones. And I'm kind of trying to explain why. But um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, so, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So these are like put in some other category of what I what I have named superfruits. If anybody ever uses that term, you heard it here first, okay? I might write a book called Superfruits or something. I don't know. You think it would sell? Superfruits. All right. So, yeah, you are like, take it, please. Take that title. All right. Um, and so let me say this. Faith, hope, love. I want to just talk briefly about each one if you're okay with that. All right. So... The interesting, interesting thing about faith and hope, I want to hit those first, is they have the ability to operate in the heavenly realm before seeing a release in this one. That's why they're so powerful. So faith and hope, they operate here before seeing reality here they're, pu they're pulling you up there. All right, so faith. I want to talk about faith. Um, Hebrews 11.1. 1, I want to do a teaching on this sometime because I, I just love this. But I deep dive some stuff on faith one time. And I'm going to pull just a tad out of it. But 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the eviden evidence of things not seen. When you kind of dig into what the meaning of faith, it actually means divine persuasion. All right? But this passage, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you kind of break that down, and I'm not going to do it right here. I need like a slide to do it on. Um, but when you kind of start breaking that down, now this is what, this is the Shane Harris paraphrase of, of this verse. All right? So faith, divine persuasion, is the document of ownership, the title deed, that stands under guaranteeing future possession of things hoped for. When I do the Shane Harris translation of the Bible, I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to do it. All right. Okay. So faith, 
which is divine persuasion, is the document of ownership, the title deed that stands under guaranteeing future possession of things hoped for. So when I'm operating in faith, I am divinely persuaded that I have a title deed in heaven that guarantees this future possession right now. Whether I see it immediately or not, it doesn't really matter. When you're really operating in faith, it, it, that's like, okay, I know I've got it. To the point, I want you to think about this. You know, the Bible, you know, people say be moderate in all things. You know, the Bible's not a moderate book. It's like, it's seriously radical. And so it's, and sometimes it's so radical that we try to like explain it in a way that's not so radical. But Mark eleven twenty four says this, it says, well, I don't have the whole verse in front of me here, but it basically says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've already received it. Believe that you already have the title deed to it. Believe that it belongs to you. And it says, and it'll be yours. That sounds pretty good, right? And so that's faith, divine persuasion. So God wants us to begin to operate in faith. To be divinely persuaded. Again, here's what's beautiful about this. Faith is not just, if I could, you know... Some people are like, well, I'm just going to take a leap of faith. It's not a leap. You're divinely persuaded, just like you had it, that it belongs to you. All right? And so divine, you're divinely persuaded. And so we need more faith so that we can stand and access heaven. And we can be a people who in prayer begin to declare and believe that we've received it before we ever see it. There's things that I'm believing for my life. There's things I'm believing for my family. There's things that I'm believing for Austin, Texas. There's things that I'm believing for this world. I want to stand in faith and I want to declare believing that I've received it before I fully see it. I want to see full-blown revival in Austin, Texas. I want to see revivals like that have been written about. I want to see that level of the power of God. That's what I want to see. That's why I'm here, still here in Austin. Because that's what I want to see. And so um, I want to stand in faith. Before I see the fullness of it, I know that it's coming. All right. Hope. Hope is this. Hope's not a wish. It's not a wish. I just hope things work out. Hope, like the way often hope is used is kind of depressing. It's like I just, I hope things get better. I hope it works out. I'm hoping things change. That's not Bible hope. All right? Hope is confident expectation in God's goodness. All right? So that means I could stand in what appears to be the most hopeless situation and be fully expectant that God's goodness is going to come through in that situation because God is a good God. That's Bible hope. All right, and then I want to hit love, and then we're going to kind of, we're going to land the plane. But love, agape. So love here in this passage is agape. 
there another water? I'm thirsty tonight. All right, so uh, thank you, Stacy. I have a wonderful wife. I do. All right, agape, love. So we know there's different words in the Bible for love, but this particular word, agape, probably most in here, if you've been in church very long, you've heard it used, you've heard sermons on it. I'm not going to do a whole sermon on it, but, it, but the Bible says here that it's the greatest. It's the most powerful. So we've got these other two that kind of, <laughs> oh, this is good. All right, we got faith and hope that can access heavenly realms. And, pull th- and, and are pulling on heaven before seeing the answer. But agape is the atmosphere of heaven. It's the actual atmosphere. So um, agape is something you can tangibly, tangibly feel in the presence of God. I can tell you stories where the agape love came in to a service, services so strong that literally... The air would go thick with it, and your breathing would slow down to breathe it because it was another atmosphere, and it wasn't made up of oxygen. It was made up of the agape love of God. And so it's beyond, when we talk about, when we talk about it, it's beyond anything human. It's beyond any love that we can comprehend with our, with our natural understanding, although I think that helps us. I think a parent's love for kids probably would be the closest way that we could understand uh, like, like a, you know, a half a percent of what agape love actually is. And the thing about this atmosphere, the word says this, it says that, that, um, that faith actually works through love. So faith work and hope work through the atmosphere of the love of God. And so while those things are reaching up in pulling things down, God wants to bring agape down on his people. All right? He wants to bring the love of God down on his people. It's the atmosphere that makes everything work. Everything work. Nothing works here without the love of God. It's the atmosphere that we need. And if you don't have that atmosphere in a church, listen, I can tell you it's not pretty at times. But when we have that atmosphere or any relationship, if we have between us the agape love operating, even when there's tension, we're in an atmosphere that's going to allow us to, to come into that place where God is. And so, so it's, it's a powerful atmosphere. So we put these things together and we've got a powerful, powerful demonstration of the character, the nature, the atmosphere of heaven when we put them together. And um, tell you a quick story. I think I want to tell this. Yeah, when I, when Stacy and I, we lived in New York City for four years. You'll hear us talk about it a lot. You'll probably get tired of it. I don't care. I love New York City. It's like it's just this incredible place. I like to take teams there. I like to act like I live there part time. You know all that kind of stuff. Um, it really is pretty amazing. And I guess because I love people, it's like. It's if you love people, you get everybody there very close together. But when when God called us to go there, we had a, a, a prophetic word that God began to confirm very rapidly. And we ended up in New York City. It's usually how 
we've moved or done something. And, and um, so we end up there, and we're, we're working in this, this small church, and um, there was a lot of brokenness. And I, I began to realize pretty quickly that the gospel had not penetrated New York City very far, um, at least where we were, because it was, it, there was just a lot of darkness and a, so much brokenness. I can't, I can't describe what it was like pastoring there. Like, sometimes I was, the other guy I worked with, I was like, I wish some of the problems were just from here down, you know, because there's just so many problems. It's like, it's like that atmosphere has just created so many issues and things in people's lives generationally. And so we get there, and I've got kids, they're like this tall, like this, they're really young. And um, we moved from the perfect world, Palestine, Texas, um, which I'm a city boy now, I don't, I don't think I could ever go back. But at the time, it was, it was really perfect. And we were pastoring this great church, and things were going really well. And then suddenly God moves us. Anyway, to, to keep it short, when we get there, um, within the first week, this lady comes up to me and she says, she's someone who's been in that church for a while we were helping. Now listen, we like, we basically sold everything, went there just in faith completely. So we show up, got my young kids. It's like a foreign nation to us. And we're there and she comes up to me. She goes, I don't know why God would have to send Texans here. Why are you here? And she didn't stop there. She just kept going on and on like, you should just go back, you know, kind of thing. And it was, it was horrible. I'm sitting, there, I'm sitting there going, you know, from the South, we don't do that, right? We don't, we don't say what we feel. <laughs> New Yorkers do. And I don't want to give them the bad rap. Some of the most wonderful people I know are New Yorkers, to be honest with you. But at the same time, there's a lot of people you meet that they need, they need Jesus, really, a lot. But this lady, she hits me hard, and it just, it kind of threw me. And, um, and of course, when I moved there, I, I was like, all right, we're going to see a million people saved. And, you know, New York for Jesus, and this is what's going to happen. This, I was, you know, and that's how we should always go and believe. But that's not what happened when we live in that city. God did tremendous things. I've got so many stories about how we saw his power, things that we saw him do on the streets, things that he did in his church, in different places. But... But what he spoke to me in that moment is the reason that I sent you and your family here is I'm going to teach you about love. And I was like, oh, okay, God. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to teach you to love people who don't even like you. They may not even want you here. But I'm going to show you some things about them. I'm going to show you how much I love them. I could write a book, God Loves Difficult People. How much I, and, and I realize, oh, this is going to take something I don't fully have. This is going to take agape at a level that is beyond me. That is beyond my ability just to be like, you know, try to be nice back and put on a good face. And I can tell you other stories with this lady, but it, it, was, it got a little crazy. And, um, but I said, okay, God, do your work. So he began to teach us how to sit in the middle of a broken people 
that couldn't give anything back and love those people. And love those people. And this lady, it's like, all right, you're going to love this lady. And you know what was interesting? By the end of our time there, because we just kept loving, God had done such a work inside of her. She came crying the day that we said that we were going to leave. And she said, can I wash your feet? Which I don't like, but, so don't get any ideas. But <laughs> I'm just being honest. I don't have pretty feet. All right. But, but it was really powerful, actually, because this lady who, who was so angry at us coming in was washing our feet going out. But it was because of the love of God. The love of God. So I'm going to finish up with this. We can't produce fruit. It's supernatural. But, there's always a but, right? We can cultivate our hearts to be in a place to receive it. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So we don't cultivate fruit, but, or we don't produce fruit, but we cultivate the ground that it lives in. And this is really important. And we need to be very intentional about tending our ground. Um, Hebrews 12, 14 tells us that we should pursue holiness. And we need to protect, we need to protect that ground and we need to allow God to get those rocks and those things out of that ground so that fruit can flourish. Pursue holiness. Sometimes we hear holiness. Holiness, I'm not, it's looked at almost through a, a negative lens because people have looked at it through, often the church has operated in holiness from a sense of like Old Testament. Like this harsh kind of thing. And that's not holiness. Holiness is, is being like God. Holiness is the fruit of the Spirit. So holiness, honestly, if I'm walking in holiness, I'm not going to go out and judge everybody else. Why? Because I'm, I have agape love. Right? Because holiness is to be like God. God is agape. God is love. And so holiness, sometimes we say that word and people, it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to perform and I'm going to have to do something. And, and so the, the problem is though we, we kind of, because of the way it's been presented, and then there's the other, the world has like made fun of it. Like, oh, or, or like y'all think you're holier than thou. And you know, that whole thing that comes in. But it does a disservice when we begin to push away from holiness because of these false definitions of what it is. God wants us to be like Him, and it's important that we protect the ground, guys. It's important that we don't allow things to come into our heart. If someone offends me, I don't want that to take root inside of my heart. 
And so what do I do? I got to protect the ground. I got to deal with it. I got to forgive. If I can't do it, if it hurt me that bad, I've got to go to God and I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get close to him and I've got to touch his holiness. And when I do, I can find that place of forgiveness. I can find that place of fruit. But we have to protect the ground. There are so many things coming at us all the time in the media and everywhere in entertainment that, that get in our ground. They get in our ground. God loves us the same, but we're not walking in the fullness that we could when we allow certain things in. If God says, hey, you don't need to do that or you need to give that up or you don't need to watch that or just don't do it. Well, you know, everybody else does it. Who cares? We can't make decisions on what everybody else does. We somehow, and we do this sometimes in the church because everybody kind of does it. We think it's okay. Maybe it's not. Right? Maybe those things are messing with my ground. And they're keeping me from the fullness that God's got for me. And so I want to encourage you guys, protect the ground. Your heart is what contains the treasures of heaven. The Word says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. Your, your, your heart has the ability to access eternity, but there are things that can come in that don't, it's not cutting you off, but it creates blocks in our lives. And so we want fruit to be produced fully in us. We want to become more like Jesus. So I don't want to just be hungry to experience God. I want my experience with God, I want to be hungry for it to change me. I don't want to just be like, oh, wow, that was amazing. It felt good. Awesome. But I don't change. That I don't walk away from that experience, having let, letting that experience do something and deposit something in my ground that changes, the, that changes me, that makes me different. That makes me different. The greatest power that we have, the greatest fruit that we can have is agape love. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.